the America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean believes the more time you spend outside together, the better. That's why they've partnered with the National Park Foundation to help you find your park and get there with family and friends. With more than 400 national park sites in the U.S., there are beautiful surprises to be found in every corner of the country. There's probably one closer than you think. Be an outsider with L.L. Bean. Well, it's now clear we're dealing with the coronavirus pandemic for the long haul. And instead of just staying inside, many Americans are wanting to figure out how to recreate responsibly. And what could be a better place to socially distance than a national park, right? Well, it's not so simple. I'm Jason Epperson, and this week we're sharing with you an episode of a different podcast. It's called Everybody's National Parks. Hosts Danielle and Brian do an excellent job taking us on deep dives into parks through their trip reports, as well as interviews from experts to help us get the best out of our visits. I sat down virtually with Danielle to chat about visiting parks during the virus, and joining us was Brad from the new Hello Ranger podcast. Brad and Matt Kerouac formerly hosted the Parklandia podcast, and now they've started a whole new community of park lovers that includes a great app and park ambassadors to help you navigate your national park experience called Hello Ranger. So with that, here's the latest episode of the Everybody's National Parks podcast about visiting the national parks during the coronavirus pandemic. Hi, I'm Danielle with Everybody's National Parks, and I'm here with Brad Kerouac from Hello Ranger and Jason Eberson from RV Miles. I'm so happy to uh, see you both. How is everyone? Doing great. <laughs> Enjoying the Utah heat. Yeah. We're having this conversation. We wanted to focus about traveling to parks during COVID and should we go? Shouldn't we go? And what do we need to think about? And um, we've all been hearing that from our communities and getting this question. So we thought this would be a useful conversation right now. Absolutely. Yeah. This is the, the question of the year. <laughs> yeah. And um, we see so much about it in the news, too. So before we jump into the conversation, why don't we say where each of us are right now? I'm in my home base, but you guys live on the road full time. So where are you? Currently, we're in Oklahoma City, and we've been spending places two months at a time. So we started off the pandemic in Tucson, Arizona. For the first two months, moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico for two months, and now we just got to Oklahoma City and we've been here for quite a while. And uh, so that's where we're currently at right now. I'm coming to you from uh, Salt Lake City. We have been doing a similar thing. We, we stayed about two months in, uh, in Arizona, just north of Tucson, a little bit, little bit cooler than Tucson uh, in the Verde Valley. And, uh, and then we spent about, uh, two months in Colorado, uh, in a few various places. Now we're starting to travel a little bit faster than, than we have been. And we spent the last few days at Dinosaur National Monument and we just arrived here in Salt Lake City. Cool. And for me, my family lives in New York and we are here. So, you know, we were in the thick of it, of the 
coronavirus in the beginning and things are looking better, but our state is pretty strict and has these quarantine measures. So what has it been like for both of you? Have you have you been going to parks during this time in these different locations that you've been? Our first experience in a national park during the pandemic was about uh, eight weeks ago, six weeks ago at Mesa Verde National Park, right after Mesa Verde reopened. And we've gone to several since with varying degrees of different stuff happening at different places, depending on how touristy the area is and, and that sort of stuff. And what we've really found is that what's happening in national parks is basically what's happening in that local area. So if there are mask requirements in, as there are in Colorado, people are wearing masks in, in Utah, where there are no mask requirements, people really aren't wearing masks very much. So it does seem that that local community and that, that state's laws really drive what's going on in the park that, that we're visiting. The parks do seem to be about as busy as they would be in any other year, I think. But we've also been trying to go to less popular ones. Yeah, I would say that's the same for us as well. We really tried to go to less popular parks. But when we were in Tucson, Arizona, we, of course, were going to Saguaro National Park. And then on the weekends, we would go up to like Mount Lemon, which not a lot of people know about uh, when they go to Tucson. But it's like basically going to like a beach day when you're in the heat because it's like 20 to 30 degrees cooler up there at Mount Lemon. Uh, so what we try to do is we try to find what are those local areas like and Luckily, Saguaro isn't a Yellowstone park with visitation like happening every single second. And there's a lot of trails. So there was a lot of openness. So we got really spoiled in the beginning. And then we went over to Santa Fe. And in Santa Fe, you really had to go seven, eight miles to the mountains. And we don't have a car. So we walk or Matt walked every day and he did 25 miles round trip. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, it does depend on where you're at. And like Jason was kind of saying, or he was saying, whatever the mask rules are, are pretty much what's happening in the parks. And so that's why it's important that our, we see more masks uses in um, laws to help the parks. And so that way they don't get uh, flooded. And even if they don't have those local rules, we should still be wearing our masks just for help, helping the population. Yeah, I think as, as travelers, it's, it's sort of our job. If we do make the choice to go to some of these places, it's our job not only to respect the local community's laws, but to go above and beyond. I mean, you know, we're here going to some places in Utah, you know, you go to the grocery store, nobody's wearing a mask and we're doing it, you know, and sometimes you feel a little stupid doing that. You feel a little like an outsider, but there's a, a lot going into decisions about whether to travel or not. And uh, there is some instances of of backlash against travelers um, and and people being a little bit concerned about, you know, people moving the virus around, though I think at this point the virus is everywhere. But again, I just think it's it's important for us to sort of go above and beyond and set an example for other travelers. Yeah. So what goes into making that decision? Should you go or shouldn't you go? That's a great question. Uh, I think that one of the things that I realized is you need the national parks or a lot of people need the national parks for mental health. 
I know that for us, we went to a new national park probably almost like every three days last summer because we were just traveling like crazy all over the place. And it's just different. This year, we've really slowed that down. So we didn't create a bigger impact on different areas because we were supposed to go all through California and Seattle and over through like Glacier National Park and Teddy Roosevelt's National Park and all of those amazing places. So we really scaled it down to where we've really only been in probably a five to 800 mile radius for the last six months where last year we visited 32 states. So we just try to keep everything more local. So that way, the more localized, the better. And I think people should get out and enjoy nature, but they should look for their backyard parks. This week, we're talking about Canaveral National Seashore on our podcast, and that's not a popular national park, but for the locals there, it's a great escape to get to the ocean and just relax. And I think people need that. So I just always recommend try finding your less populated national parks. Don't go to the big ones like Yosemite and Yellowstone unless they're in your backyard. So that way you can just really try to keep travel to a minimum. But that's just what we're doing. I think a lot of people think that your first thought about national parks during this pandemic is like, what better place for social distancing than, than, you know, the, than a a hundred million acre national park. Um, That's an exaggeration. They're not that big, but, but it's just not true. You know, you go to a busy national park and everybody is going to the same trailheads and overlooks and the visitor center and stuff. And you cannot completely avoid people. And if that's something that you're looking to do, it's very difficult to go to a national park right now and, and not run into people whatsoever. So you need to sort of, if you're going to do it, make plans around that and, um, and, you know, make those decisions based on what that local community wants as well. Kind of like what I was saying before, like if that, if that local community is hurting right now and, you know, perhaps it's one of the gateway communities that are very small and they're just, they just balloon in size in the summer and they have like Moab, Utah, I know they have like 17 hospital beds in the ICU. And uh, at one point they shut down the three counties around Moab entirely to tourism because of that. And because they had like four ventilators. And I think the restrictions there have, have lifted a bit, but it's not just a state-based thing. It's not just a, a park-based thing. You really have to look at this on a community level, uh, a county level, a city level, um, and the places that you'll travel through to get to those places, mm-hmm. not just where you're going. Right. If I remember correctly, you each have moved to like three different places since COVID started. So how did you choose those places? And for people, the people who have reached out to me are more in my situation. They're not full-time travelers. They're at home and are tired of being home and are thinking, is it safe for me to go to a national park? Where can I go? So where, how does, how does one choose? Well, I think one of the important things to realize is what your skill level is or what your like travel level, I would say like, you know, we're all experienced national parks travelers. And so we've seen a lot of the big places. And what I've heard a lot of feedback from the national parks community is that they are trying to find trails, even in the bigger national parks that are in their backyard that are less traveled 
So that way they can spread out and they have more space. And there's a lot of those. And so if you're more advanced, try to find those lesser known trails. And then if you're new to national parks traveling, and maybe this is your first time getting out into nature, then I would recommend for them to find those local parks. For me, we haven't been going to a lot of national parks this year. We've actually been going to a lot of like state parks or different mountain ranges. And that's because there's no tourism base for a lot of these. You know, it is you're going into nature. So if they're a little bit more off the beaten path, that's more attractive to us because they're not a national park, which is the first time I think I've ever said that I don't want to go to a national park because I'm trying to just really keep on exploring, but not taking up our like park rangers resources um, because it, it's still happening. There's still medevacs that happen. I was just reading a story about a gentleman who had a heart attack. And those are the the people that are the highest at, of a, at risk and they're still going to national parks. So it's like, you really need to look at it as a holistic approach. And this kind of leads into the question of like, you need to know what your mental health is, what your physical health is. So that way you know what you can do. Like if you don't have the best physical health, probably Yellowstone isn't the place for you this year because it is more stressful because you have stress while traveling. And that's what people don't realize either is you're going to touch, if you're going a state over, two states over, you're going to touch two to three gas pumps, talk to five or six people at different registers and different things that you need to go. And that's the kind of stuff that you can't eliminate when you're traveling to another state. That's why everything has been so hyper-local for us. And that's our biggest decision is just like realizing how many things and how many people do we have to interact with when we drive five hours? Can we get away with one gas fill and get to our next place where we're staying for two months. Ours is just slowing everything down and allowing the spread to like slow down, especially in these hot states uh, across the United States. We've been looking to sort of like in a similar way, but also just, you know, we've made mistakes and have been looking to sort of escape those mistakes. So <laughs> what I mean by that is like when we went to Mesa Verde, it was great. You know, a lot of parks are sort of known for one thing, but have so much more to them. And Mesa Verde is one of those places. It's known for the cliff dwellings, but there are tons of stunning trails there that you can take that really have nothing to do with the cliff dwellings. And, you know, we did a lot of that stuff. And I think that's kind of where my mind is at when we visit a park. It is about what we do when we get there, staying away from the popular places uh, and doing things that are less risky. Like Brad mentioned, I think like you're trying not to stress the park's resources and emergency responder resources, multi-day overnight backpacking trips are out of the question. Um, you know, mountain climbing out of the question right now for me, um, that's something I do anyway, but like, you know, it's, it's about not taking those riskier, um, uh, not doing those riskier activities in parks. Now, when we left the the Mesa Verde area, and it's, you know, it's fairly rural around there, we headed to Colorado Springs. And that was a, a, a business decision. We were working with a um, campground there in the local tourism office. But we quickly realized when we got there, and it's not a national park area, but there's, but it's similar. It's, you know, Pikes Peak and, and, and Garden of the Gods and all, all sorts of stuff. It was insanely busy, incredibly busy. The campgrounds were completely booked. 
we tried to drive through Garden of the Gods and there wasn't anywhere to park anyway, so it didn't really matter. We just drove through it and we drove up to Pike's Peak and that's about all we did there because of the the sheer number of people. So we kind of got out of there quickly and headed to the Western Slope again of Colorado to you know, get away from people and visited Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park and the Curaconti National Recreation Area that I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing right. But those sort of lesser travel parks and less busy parks, especially the National Recreation Area, people like that national park name. They want to go collect their 62 stamps, but you can go to some of the national monuments, the national recreation areas that are a little bit less known. And you can really get away from people and you can see just as much cool stuff. So that's kind of where we were at before we started to make our way, started to travel a little bit faster. So now we've, as I said, we were at Dinosaur National Monument for a few days. Again, another rural park that is not near a major population center. You know, Colorado Springs is so close to Denver. Great Smoky Mountains is close to, you know, a third of the country. Those are the type of places that I would really avoid right now and sort of look for those places that you can really get away from people. Yeah, like even a great alternative to the Great Smoky Mountains would be the Blue Ridge Mountains, which are right next to it and it touches it, but they're just so much less traveled. And there's actually some better sites there, really, uh, when you really get into the Blue Ridge Mountains. But finding those places outside of those bigger areas is super important. And hopefully people don't take this as, yeah, still go there because Asheville still can be packed with people. So that doesn't help you. If you can self-contain, that's also very important. I know a couple of followers are actually friends that went backpacking everywhere this year and tent camping. So that way they didn't have to interact with people at all. And they had a, a really successful trip because they didn't have to go and check into hotels or even check into RV parks. But a lot of that is streamlined now like with rv check-ins you call a number and they tell you what your spot is you go to it you don't even touch or talk to people now and and that kind of thing unless you're getting kicked out of parks right (laughs) (laughs) for since uh, that is a very insider joke (laughs) want to just give the quick little recap so people know why we're all laughing (laughs) yes please We got thrown out of a campground for receiving a package and it was uh, kind of hilarious. Uh, but it brings up a good point, though, because it's it's not just about what you want to do and, and what your thoughts about how you should be handling this pandemic are. It's about what the other people you're going to re- interact with do. You know, you might go to one one campground that doesn't believe in this pandemic at all and is doing the bare minimum required to them by law if that or you may go to one campground that's really trying to go above and beyond and they do the contactless check-in and and uh they have their um, showers closed or they are cleaning them uh, after every use all sorts of different ways campgrounds and other types of lodging are handling this so you really want to sort of see where you're going to go and how they're dealing with it. How do you choose and how do you know? For us, we've we went camping twice in different parts of New York state. We knew people in that area, so we consulted with them. We ended up having a good experience at both. It was a shared bathroom shower situation and there were people in the park, but I think they decreased 
tremendously the number of reservations and stuff. So I really, I think I encountered another person in the bathroom like once the time at the time we were there. So it was a good situation. On a couple of hikes, sometimes we encountered more people than I felt comfortable with. We always had our mask and put it on whenever we would see people. And I wish I would see other people doing the same. Sometimes people did. Sometimes people did not. One, we went to another park closer to New York City. And I was, we went very early in the morning on our hike and had a great experience. But the last quarter of a mile, it was mid-morning by that time, very crowded. And I was astounded at how little mask wearing I saw. You have to be ready to take those risks. But we were staying close to home and we were trying to do everything right by going early and not going on the most popular trails and things like that. To me, the thing about the the recommendations that we are given to handle this pandemic, wearing a mask, um, you know, washing our hands and staying six feet away from people and using hand sanitizer and all that. Most of that stuff is to protect other people from us, right? It, it's not to protect your stuff. Like the ma- they say the mask is like 10% effective if somebody sneezes at you, but it's like 90% effective if you're sneezing out. So the people that are not interested in the safety of other people around them, the people that are selfish and only care about themselves, we're never going to convince those people to do anything different. So what we have to do if, if we're somebody that cares about our health and other people's health is just really plan for the fact that, that we're going to have to, we're going to have to be the one that avoids those people. We're going to have to do proactive things that, that keeps us away from, from people who are not interested in, in that at all. So what I like to do is I'm, I've been telling people loop trails are way better than out and backs right now. Because in an outback mm-hmm. trail, you're sense. you're constantly coming across people, especially a loop trail that is generally one way, even though it's not, even if it doesn't say you have to go one way, if generally people go one way, you might never cross somebody else going across that trail, even, mm-hmm. even if a lot of people are on it at that time. Waiting in your car at Overlooks until they clear out a bit, you know, using hand sanitizer before you go into a bathroom. Right. You're trying not to spread the virus. It's not just about you getting it. So use hand sanitizer before you go into a bathroom, then wash your hands on the way out or any other any sort of door. That's why it's there at the entrance at a lot of the National Park Visitor Centers right now. It's it's for you to use on your way in, not necessarily, oh, I got the virus inside. I better, you know, wipe my hands. You're you're trying not to spread it. And that's that's to me, I think the mentality we all have to get into to as a country because this has all changed drastically like it used to be about not traveling and not going out not going from place to place now that the virus is everywhere and now that we know that most americans just won't do half of that stuff i think the much better and this is maybe perhaps getting bigger than let's visit national parks and into personal thoughts but i feel like we really have to get into a mentality of like extreme mask wearing extreme social distancing and use of hand hand sanitizer and washing hands and really focusing on that sort of stuff. Because like, I mean, I can tell you like the small percentage of, of us now that are doing everything we can to do this the right way are never going to make up for the, all the people that just don't care. And when, when there's no laws, even for me who does care about this, the draw to not wear a mask, like I said, the other day, when, 
nobody in the grocery store here in Utah is wearing a mask. It's hard to do it. I mean, it's still do it, but it's, it's hard. And I can imagine that for a lot of people, it's not. And really that state law makes all the difference in the world. In Colorado, everybody is wearing a mask in every building. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think this is going to continue to change. It has changed over the last few weeks and is the way that we're going to continue to approach this virus is going to continue to change as it becomes more predominant across the country and as it gets better across the country in certain places that may have been, you know, (laughs) really big, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) no, you, you brought up some really good points. And I especially like the one about using hand sanitizer before you enter a place. It's not only for, to get the virus off of your own hands, but if you already have it on your hands or you have it unknowingly, yeah, that is very important. I found those spray bottles very effective. Because they're just really nice for your hands when you're traveling, the spray bottles, because you don't have to, like, juggle everything. Um, So I recommend those. And you can find them at almost every Walgreens uh, across the country because it's just better than the gels because it dries faster and it's more effective is what I found. And then, of course, hand washing. But (laughs) just a little insider tip. Yeah. New York State uh, gives those out free at at the New York State rest stops. At least the ones we went to up in the Northeast, you're dealing with a whole different pandemic in many ways, a whole different pandemic than other states are. And your decision to travel or not or to go to parks or not during this time is is really going to be driven a lot by where you are and what's happening in, in that state and that that general area. The unfortunate really reality is some states have way fewer people, you know, less than a million people live in the state of South Dakota, hardly over a million people live in, in the, in the state of Wyoming. So when you, in their huge States, right. And when you have Mm -hmm. 10 million people living in New York city, that's a totally different thing uh, to deal with. Now you're still like, my point in saying that is not go to these places and don't worry about it. Um, And I think a lot of people have that sort of feeling like we can go to these places. There's nobody there. There's hardly any cases of the virus there and we don't have to worry about it. And that a, that's not true that there's hardly any cases um, uh, because it's across the country based on population. It's, it's pretty solidly the same, but when you go to those areas uh, you're still going to go to, you know, places where people congregate. It's just a simple fact of the matter that when people are not, um, forced to be in more confined areas together, there is, there is less spread of the virus. Right. What are the factors? What should people be thinking about when they decide, assuming they've made the decision that they want to go to some parks? For me, it was looking at the state that I'm thinking about going to and my own state to make that decision. So a perfect example was I was going to go to Cuyahoga Valley National Park And then Ohio was added to New York's list. And I was like, you know what? Somebody's telling us not to go. Let's just (laughs) let's just bring it all down. That was our last. We had a whole big, awesome trip planned for this summer to Glacier National Park and then adding some things. And we kept we took down Glacier and then (laughs) just kept taking them down as situations change. So looking at the state, each state and 
And what are what are some other factors, things, the gateway towns? You don't want to put those gateway towns in, at risk. But how do you know which are the places for people who aren't super active national park travelers, but just more casual national park visitors? I think my first recommendation is that you go back to somewhere you've been. I know it's hard that we want to go to a new place and experience a new place, but repeat visiting because you know the stores, you know the gas stations, you know the stops, you know the trails, uh, you know it and you're comfortable with it. It actually makes everything a lot easier. And then I also look at population size. So we've been to Albuquerque and Santa Fe. And at first we were going to go to Albuquerque for the two months, but then we thought about it and it's a 600,000 population versus a like 79,000 population from Albuquerque to Santa Fe. So when we thought about it, we're like, well, there's a lot less like points of contact when we go to Santa Fe than Albuquerque, just because we're like in the city in Albuquerque when we go. So we decided to go to Santa Fe. So I think that really helps. So one, make sure you've been there because it just helps your traveling go a lot smoother Two, check out your population size. And then I would say check your state and local guidelines because sometimes they will differ with mass usage and how things are working. If you rely on like Ubers and Lyfts, make sure that they're running in that area if they have enough drivers, because a lot of drivers aren't driving right now, because that's something that we have to think about, which is now just walking everywhere because we don't want to get in a vehicle with anybody else. But I would say those are my first three things that I look at. What else would you look at, Jason? Well, I think, um, you know, those 14 day quarantines, there's a lot of confusion over what they are and why they're there. And the main purpose of them in the first place was the fact that states don't have the legal authority to ban people from traveling from state to state. We can't restrict interstate travel in this country. Uh, So governors came up with this 14 day quarantine idea. Honestly, it really was a way to discourage people from traveling to that state. Now, it is also a way to allow people to come into a state in a healthy way if they need to. But I feel like if a state has a 14 day quarantine and 14 day quarantine means nothing, it means you don't go anywhere. You don't go to the gas station. You don't go to the drugstore. You don't go anywhere. You're supposed to get groceries delivered to you, all that sort of stuff. I feel like if a state has a 14 day quarantine uh, for out of state travelers, don't go to it at this point. Like, unless you really have to just don't go to it, avoid it. And there are not that many states in most of the country that, that have that um, except for really in the Northeast, but those quarantines also exist uh, on the County level. Um, There are issues with native American reservations. You know, if native American reservations don't want you to, um, to stay there because this virus has hit them very hard in some places, maybe you end up driving through one without planning not to use a gas station. Don't stop in those places and, and find other places to go. I, I think, yeah, find the, find the low population centers. Um, really look deeply at, at social media and, and news articles and find out what that area and what that state is doing. Like Colorado, Colorado is using outdoor recreation as a big part of their pandemic plan. They're encouraging it and they're encouraging it to happen in a safe way. Now, our experience was that it's not happening in a safe way in certain areas and it is in others, but 
Some states are, they still have campground closure issues or every other site is closed type deals. Those sorts of things are the, are the really minute things that you need to look at. And the, the only real answer to the question, the, the big question of like, what are the, you know, the, the X, Y, Z things that we need to decide before we go is you just have to do a ton of research. You really just have to spend your time reading everything you can about that area. So the more complex your trip is, the more complicated that gets, right? And my advice to people pre-pandemic was always, you know, don't be trying to visit seven national parks in one week. That's drastically increased right now. Go to one place, spend your time there, you know, really research your your journey there and and figure it out so that you know that that everything is going to hopefully go according to your plan. And research all the wherever you need to, whatever you need to do to get there and try to minimize all the stops. And if you have to break up the trip, know where you're going to stay and know that it's safe and clean and all those things. Yeah. Challenging times. <laughs> are, are there any things that you haven't already mentioned that when you have been out there in parks on the trails, things that park staff are doing really well or on the other end, if there's things that are not being done well? What we have noticed that that parks are doing, and it really depends on the park. There is not like one thing that all parks are doing the same. And that's because parks are are managed in different ways and they have different challenges. But what we have noticed in general is that they usually do have like plexiglass at the entrance behind, you know, the rangers usually behind plexiglass. If you have a national park pass, they usually sort of just want to want you to show it to them. They don't usually take it from you. And they usually hand you a map with like a grabber stick, but uh, that's not always the case. Sometimes they don't care. We've, we actually experienced at Mesa Verde, uh, the, the ranger at the outdoor ranger station didn't have a mask on when, and was actually uncomfortably getting really close to people, like closer to me than I would like non-pandemic times uh, <laughs> and like talking into faces and stuff like that. So those are things that, you know, are different in different places. Black Canyon of the Gunnison was sort of, there wasn't a lot of people there, but they were, I don't know, maybe they were managing it kind of in a poor way. But Dinosaur National Monument was awesome, especially because in order to visit the core, we went to the quarry side. And so if you don't know, there's sort of the Colorado side of the park, and then there's the Utah side of the park. And on the Utah side of the park is the Dino Quarry, which is an indoor experience that has a bunch of dinosaur bones still like in rock, but then they've covered it with this big air conditioned building. And to get to that, you have to take a shuttle. And that really concerned me, first of all. But you have to go from the main visitor center. You go inside, you reserve tickets, and you take a shuttle. But it's an open-air shuttle. They are only using every other row of the shuttle. And they completely wipe down the shuttle. You know, it's all plastic, too. So it's not like the Zion buses, which have, like, fabric seats and stuff. They're completely wiping it down between every trip. And it's a very limited number of people that can get on the shuttle and everybody has to wear a mask. I actually feel safer in a situation like that than some of the situations at like trailheads at other parks that aren't managed by rangers and, and all that sort of stuff. So in general, the National Park Service is I feel like they're doing a great job of protecting their rangers by putting them, you know, behind plexiglass and stuff. They're closing down when there's a you know, Big Bend National Park was closed for a month 
due to the fact that two people in the residential community contracted the virus at the park. So when there is a problem, they're hitting it hard. The uh, Yellowstone, they have tested a thousand employees and found no cases of the coronavirus there. So they're really, you know, actively trying to manage this at most parks. But again, the parks are all managed by different superintendents. They have different budgets. They have different challenges. So, you know, read the reviews on online of, uh, you know, people that have recently been there, go into some of the national park Facebook groups and talk to people who have recently Mm. been there and figure out what their experience has been. That's going to really give you a lot more information than really just trying to wing it. (laughs) Those are great tips. And obviously your first check should be that parks website. (laughs) Yeah. And they've been really good about updating the website. Sometimes they're not very good about updating those park websites, but during this pandemic, I feel like they, you know, they have those emergency warnings at the top and usually you have to click on read more, but they've been pretty Mm -hmm. good about updating people about what's happening in the moment in that park and what you, what you need to do. And you do need to do some planning like for for dinosaur. We had to get, uh, we had to pre-purchase reservations for the shuttle. And you're going to find that at certain parks where you've got like at Rocky mountain and Yosemite, where there are timed entries right now. And you know, that could change at any park anywhere at any point, they could add that at any Mm -hmm. point. They could take it away at any point. It could be for some experiences for some, and they are starting to do ranger talks and things like that now more and more. And um, I haven't experienced those, so I don't know how, how they manage it, but I imagine they're doing it in a well social distanced way. Yeah. We did a naturalist talk at uh, Allegheny State Park and um, you had to register in advance. The numbers were limited to uh, how many people could attend. And then the naturalist said, I'll have my mask on, but if you're comfortable, I'm going to stand far away so I can take my mask off and, you know, talk. And if we're all far away from each other, you know, take your mask off. But it was it was totally fine. And it was also a really awesome program because we were very distanced from each other. And then when we were walking to the next stop, everyone put their masks on and people were very nice and, you know, attentive to that. So, And my daughter ate ants. <laughs> Chocolate covered ants we or? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we did an edible plant walk. It was super cool. We um, ate a lot of neat things, but she said, you know, if you're, if you're lost in the forest and you and for a while, you need some protein, too. So what might that look like? And, you know, kids were raising their hands and and she said, yeah, you can eat ants. Just make sure you eat the black ones, not the red ones. Are there any volunteers? And my daughter's hands shot up. <laughs> I love it. Fearless. <laughs> and then another family and she's seven. Another family had teenagers and the mom says teenage boys. And she's like, are you going to let this girl, little girl show you up? <laughs> and so, by the end, the entire group was tasting ants. <laughs> They're lemony. <laughs> Interesting. I don't think I've ever eaten an ant before. They did find a way to do. Um, we did a, two programs there and they were very well done, very conscientious in doing it safely. So. Well, this has been a great conversation and super helpful, really good tips. And it's still, you know, it's requires a lot of research. There's 
No right or wrong answer necessarily. You just have to do what's right for you and hopefully do it responsibly. One thing that a question that had come up to me, I've gotten this question a couple of times and it's been very popular. People when summer was starting RVs, RVs, popularity in RVs. (laughs) You, uh, you guys know better than anyone, but for the people who are want to get out and take a vacation, there's been so many people who are renting RVs for their first time ever. Some people have already done that successfully, but I have gotten some inquiries about, I'm thinking about doing this. So do you have some quick tips, guidance for someone? There's so many people, their kids are doing school virtually for the foreseeable future. And so they're saying, well, maybe I'll turn turn lemons into lemonade and go see our country safely a little bit. And so get an RV. What advice do you have there? Jason, this is right up your alley. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I guess the first thing I want to do is caution people that an RV, RVs are awesome. And, you know, this, it is our lifestyle. And we, we, we tell everybody about our, our whole job is talking to people about RVing. A lot of people want to rent RVs right now because they want to have their kitchen with them. They want to cook their own meals in them. They want to have their bathroom with them wherever they go, that sort of thing. Um, I want to caution people that it is not as easy to drive a big RV around and park it wherever you go, you know, especially like in a national park with like tiny trailheads and stuff like that. Um, as, as you might think it is. Um, so you always need to have like either an extra vehicle or bikes or you know, some way, or you can walk 25 miles a day. Uh, you have to, you, you have to think about those things. So sometimes, you know, when I was saying go to one place, sometimes an RV isn't any safer than like renting a cabin where it has been, you know, pre-cleaned just like the rental RV would have been. And you've got your kitchen there and you've got your bathroom there and you might be going back and forth to that. It is very hard to rent an RV right now. They are uh, they are really booked solid. It's very hard to buy an RV right now. I mean, I've seen photos of lots where they like they have literally put up a billboard that says we are sold out of RVs or maybe there are 50 on their lot when normally they have 500. So not only is it difficult to find them to rent. The campgrounds are very busy right now. A lot of people are trying this out for the first time right now. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, not saying you can't do it. But what I am saying is if you are going to do it, get something small, consider renting something that is set up in a campground for you. Like 85% of the RVs out there are trailers. And if you don't have a vehicle to pull a trailer, you're not going to be renting one of those. So you, most people are looking to rent a, a motorhome, but your options open up if you're able to rent a trailer. And if you don't want to tow that trailer, generally you can rent one locally that is that they bring out to a campground and set up for you. And then you can stay in that. So it's kind of like being in a cabin. Uh, but if that place doesn't have cabins or they're too expensive or whatever, that could be an option for you. There are peer to peer places to rent RVs like Outdoorsy and RV Share. That are options in there. There are big companies like Cruise America that rent them out as well. But it does add a whole layer of something new. You know, if you're used, you've never done that before. There's a lot to learn about, a lot to figure out about, you know, how to, how to dump this sewer and how to 
shower for the first time and not fill up the gray tank and and how to light the oven all those it's just i mean us living in one that takes time to figure out so it is a complicated layer that you might be adding on your trip if it's something you've never done before but you know a lot of places you can rent if you're if you're like somebody who's comfortable tent camping but just want to plus it up a little bit with some kitchen appliances and and a bathroom then you know rent a small camper van type deal what they call a class b which are very popular for rentals in places like Utah and Colorado, that might be your sort of best nimble experience to, to get around between places. But again, don't rent something and plan on going to this national park today, this one tomorrow, this one, the next day, this one, the next day, A, you're going to go to a million gas stations and B you're going to spend your entire trip driving and that's never any fun. So it's really all comes back to like right now, go on place, go to places, really stick to a, a small schedule. That's a really good tips. Did you want to add anything to that? Brad? Yeah, I think that's a really important thing that what Jason was touching on because people don't realize when you're in an RV, you're actually in a shoebox. Um, so you actually have to learn how to dance together with whoever you're with and move and maneuver around each other. So if you're looking for relaxing vacation and it's better to like rent a cabin because it's going to be just as sanitary, like Jason's saying. And it's better to stay at one location for a longer period of time, jumping around the country and this park and that park. I mean, I've seen it constantly on different uh, groups on Facebook where people are like, I have seven days and I have these nine places I want to go. And I'm like, no, like that's one that's dangerous. So stop. <laughs> Two, um, just slow it down. Really take time to enjoy it. There's no rush, especially this year. There's no rush at all. And just enjoy your time in one place and just discover different trails and different activities to do. Great. Thank you so much. That's a, I think that's a good spot to end unless anybody has anything else that uh, you feel is important to uh, chime in before we close. I think we're all on the same page. <laughs> Stay safe. Yeah. Wear your and mask. Use hand sanitizer. Just, you know, use common sense. Yeah. And li limit your contact. It's not just because you're working from home and your kids are schooling from home doesn't mean it might be the best time to travel all across the country and do that, uh, that massive national park trip you've always been dreaming of to hit them all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that actually brings up a good point uh, is that families traveling should look for like national historical sites or places like Selma or Freedom Martyrs National Monument, or different aspects like that, because there's a lot of that in the National Parks uh, units that people don't go to and utilize them as these really great tools. Because when I've gone there, I've learned so much more because I'm physically in that space, and you can put together a better picture. So if you want to do that, travel locally, but find your local historical sites like Pullman and Chicago if you're from Chicago or different aspects like that. If you're trying to do some education with your, your kids while they're not in school, I mean, that's that's the biggest part of our life really is, is traveling to a lot of these places and using them as tools for homeschooling. So uh, yeah, they're, they're awesome opportunities and not only in national parks, but in, in your state park system as well, outdoor museums, all that kind of stuff. Wow. 
It's so silly of me that I didn't even think of that, but that's like a whole nother conversation. So I think we're going to have to schedule another time and make a series out of this. You know, this theme was more just, should you go? Shouldn't you go? Where should you go? What do you need to think about? And um, we'll have to do another one on education and, you know, homeschooling on the road and using that time. So uh, thanks, Jason. We'll have to check your availability. (laughs) Well, thank you both so much. I've enjoyed seeing you, really, because, you know, I mostly talk to the you know, three other people that live in my house and uh, really be safe. Good luck. I look forward to staying in touch and, you know, following your travels, adventures and advice online. So thank you both. You too. Good seeing your face. Thank you. All right. Again, we're talking to Jason Epperson, RV Miles. Check it out. And um, Jason, where can everybody find you? And if you want to plug anything, please do. Sure. You can find the RV Miles podcast, which is sort of our personal travels and RV news on any podcast app, along with our America's National Parks podcast and the Sea America podcast, which are both sort of uh, stories about individual destinations. And at RVMiles.com, you can find articles and tips for travel and links to all of our podcasts. And Brad. Please, please make a plug. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you can find us at HelloRangerCommunity.com. And we have a National Parks app that you can join the community of National Parks lovers and enthusiasts and talk to different uh, people through that. And we have you guys and your articles that you can find Danielle as our family ambassador. And you can find Jason and Abby as RV camping ambassadors. And they do such a great job really putting together these articles for you to learn and to experience the national parks differently. And the app is really fun. So highly recommend it. (laughs) Well, great. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now. I hope you'll take the time to visit our friends at both the Everybody's National Parks podcast and the new Hello Ranger podcast available wherever you listen to this one. Make sure to subscribe to their shows as well as this one if you haven't. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag Be an Outsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.